Hello and welcome to the Get French Football News preview show where we'll be reviewing yet another tedious night of European action for the French teams. Five matches, three points, two guests, one host, a thousand cuts, uh, eight reindeer, countless tears and around an hour of misery awaiting you, the lovely listener. I'm Lewis McParlin, and tonight I'm joined by Thomas Wiseman and Eric Devin to go over the games played this week in the Champions League and Europa League. We'll also have a little bit of league in action later on in the show as we preview of this weekend, as we know there has been a lot of European chat in the last couple of episodes. But we're going to start off with the European chat, and I'll start off with a win before we go into some worse results uh, throughout Europe. Uh, Losk Lille got a 3-0 victory away to the San Siro. They played AC Milan and it was Turk Yusuf Izici with a hat-trick seeing Lille get all three points. Eric, we've talked about him before as he got a hat-trick in his last Europa League match a couple of weeks ago, but he's had a lot of injury concerns, but it finally looks as if he's getting back to his best and it seems that there could be a lot more still to be seen from him with the form that he's getting into, Eric. Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, to to do what he did, uh, you know, against the Czech side, I think is is one thing to do. Do it at the San Siro against a Milan team who are unbeaten in all competitions this season is quite another indeed. And I think that uh, this is the, the player that Leo signed. I mean, his he was really snake bitten with injury last year and we certainly didn't see the best of him. But I think I think we're getting getting close to that now. Um you know, I, I think that Lille under Luis Campos have rarely put a foot wrong in the transfer market. We think of all of the the young players that they've signed. I think, by and large, have worked out pretty well. I mean, there's I think there's still some uh, question marks over over Timothy Weah, um, but again, he's he's someone who's dealt with injury as well. Uh, you know, it's taken a little bit of time for some of these players to come good. We think about you know Luis Araujo. Uh, really wasn't hitting his stride until this season. Um, Renato Sanchez took a little bit of time to settle in too upon his arrival, but I think by and large this this looks like another canny deal for Lille. I think they bought him for something in the neighborhood of 15, 15 million, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and you know, even with the depressed climate in the transfer market, if Lille do want to sell him on or sell on another player uh, who can play in his role, be that a Raujo, be that a Kone, uh, I, I think that his strong play has certainly um, uh, you know, justified his his price tag at this at this point in time. I mean, six goals in the group stages. I believe he's the leading scorer in the competition. Uh, you know, again, three match days in, but you know, two hat tricks in in three matches, uh, both on the road, really says a lot about his ability. He's he's someone who is thought of as more of a creative player, uh, someone who's more capable of playing wide. Um, but he can play there. He can also play uh, closer to the center, closer to a striker. Um, so that's another you know. The feather in Christophe Galtier's cap in terms of uh, developing him in a versatile manner, and also you know a feather in Yuzichi's cap too to come back from uh, you know a season-ending injury last year and to to sort of hit hit his stride now uh, you know more, some 15 months later is is credit to his his character and his drive and his motivation and and uh, yeah again his vindication for the fact that you know by and large uh, Lille have really been winning the transfer market in France uh, across the last couple of seasons. 
You, you said it yourself, they do rarely put a foot wrong in that department, you know, the, their quality with bringing in players, you know, they, and they never really overstep the mark within within fees, you know, they never really seem to overpay, but they always manage to oversell, they always manage to get a lot of money for the players that do end up leaving the club, uh, and Yuzichi, if he keeps up this form, could just be the next guy to come in, do well for a couple of years at Lille, and then bring in a nice little profit to them in the 30 million 40 million plus region Thomas he's been back at it you know last season he was seen more as a creator the Turkish player but now he's managing to get the goals and maybe in the absence of quality from other players Jonathan David's obviously been highly spoke about with the lack of goals that he's been getting but he's managing to step in when maybe other players aren't quite at it how talismanic could he be for Lille this season I think he can be really, really good for them. Um, I mean, it's he's he's a really he's a really nice player to watch. He's, he's sort of most of his actions on the pitch are very clean and and sometimes just simple touches of the ball and and, the, and and passes that can sort of beat a man quite easily. Um, but he's just been yeah, he's been really good for for Lilla, especially linking up with other players. I think they've got two players there in Yuzici and. And especially Yilmaz, who his link-up play is really, really good, um, and he's he's happy to you know drop out wide or or sort of drop a little bit deeper, deeper to facilitate more of the well, I guess more mobile or um, energetic attackers, and it's sort of really coming together. And you saw it today, even in the late stages of the match, um, there was really they were quite dangerous. I mean, they, they had one or two decisions in the in sort of the, the final third that that they should have took differently and they could have it could have been you know four or five maybe but it just shows that 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 attack is sort of coming together even though we've mentioned plenty of times that Jonathan David's not been um not been up to where people expected him to be for such a big signing but um I'm sure Galtier will will love this this form from uh Yuzichi. Mm. And when I've been looking through Lille's squad for the last few games and for most of the season, they have juggled about their midfield pairing. You know, Benjamin Andre's come in, uh, Sumari's come in, Jeka's come in, Renato Sanchez. There have been many pairings that, that have jumped about, but a player that stood out for me was Renato Sanchez in this one. And, and I just want to get your opinion on who would you have playing that midfield to if everyone was fit in every game going up against, let's say they're playing PSG tomorrow. Who do you see as the best fit at the moment to play in that midfield to, Thomas? Mm-hmm. That's a tough one. Um, I'll probably it's, say... It's, it's interesting the variety of players that they've kind of got in those positions, like in terms yeah. of different stories. You know, Renato Sanchez is this kind of fallen star boy. Jake has been there a while. Benjamin Andre just signed in, but is kind of Mr. Consistent. Sumari is a player that has so much hype over him, but I rarely see the output. You know, they've got a lot of different stories in there, the guys who could play in the midfield. Yeah, I think probably it would have to be Sanchez and Andre, I'd say. I think, I mean, the toss-up for the man of the match tonight was, was between um, Yuzichi and, you know, he's got a hat-trick and Sanchez because he was just so, he was so dynamic um, and difficult for, for Lil to keep to keep hold of. And like you said, I think comparing him with, with Samari in a way is, 
is uh, this is not really much of a competition because of Samari's poor form, but I definitely think that's a, a really strong midfield. And even though know, you've got, I think the fact that they rested him tonight did show um, how important he is to them. And and you've got you know players like Jacker that's probably not you know he's not a starter for them, but he's still quite a a, a solid player to to have in that squad. Eric, if I have to, if I had to put that question to you about Lille's midfield pairing, who who would you like to see in there? Would you agree with Thomas on that kind of Renato Sanchez, Benjamin Andre pairing? Absolutely, yeah. I think the balance that those two give to the side is, um, yeah, it's with it's without parallel. I think it's really impressive. Uh, you know, Sanchez has succeeded play wide on the right, but in terms of the emergence of Yazici. Uh, and the emergence and Araujo coming into form, uh, they don't really need him to play wide on the right. So I think that the dynamism and drive he gives through the center of the park, even if he's not so much of a goal-scoring threat, uh, he, that dynamism and drive he has in a box-to-box role alongside the, you know, again, the reliable, that's, that's well said. Uh, Thomas, uh, Andre, I think, makes the, makes really a perfect pairing. Um, and if, you know, Andre, I think, is 30-31, so if he's getting on a bit, and uh, maybe Galtier does want to pick and choose his games. Uh, it does make sense, perhaps, to have a bit of rotation in there as well. So as, as we saw tonight, um, there's certainly um, a lot to be said for, for the versatility and depth of, of Lille's aside, and in, in that midfield in particular. Mm. And, and I have to have a bit of a shout out for Jacob because, you know, he's like Thomas said, he's not always their number one starter but I rarely see him get brought in from the cold you know if they need him for a match and I rarely see him go in and put in an absolute stinker and I think he's one of these guys who great to have in the back pocket uh, to kind of just bring in when you need um and Eric this match was a 3-0 win it was the wor- it was Milan's worst home performance in European competition this 3-0 defeat how big is that for Lille to know that they can go to a massive club like Milan even though they may be a bit of a fallen giant at the moment and go and steal a 3-0 win, a win that sends them to the top of the group. You know, that must give them a lot of confidence going into the second half of the group stage, Eric. Yeah, there's nothing stolen about it. Uh, as we said at the top, uh, it could have been more. Um, you know, I, there was definitely the Donnarumma error on, on the second, but uh, I think Lille bossed this game top to bottom. Um, they, Botman and, and Fonch were incredible, uh, as they've been all season, a great Great partnership there. Um, you know, I think the, the fullbacks weren't fantastic going forward, but they didn't really need to be. Um, they were in, so they were solid defensively, and, and you know, Galtier got that right tactically as well as personnel-wise. Uh, the fullbacks not pushing up as much. I think you know, a gave a little bit more freedom to that those attackers, and b uh, prevented Milan from trying to use their width. Um, so it was really a frustrating evening all around for. Uh, for Milan, you know, I mean, Menon had a couple saves to make, but he was hardly a busy man on the night. And uh, yeah, just a really well, uh, well done performance, uh, a really well executed performance, I should say, rather from Lille, uh, top to bottom. I think that in terms of confidence, um, you know, looking at this side, I, you know, that result, I mean, you're, I mean, you, Napoli are in the mix, perhaps, or Arsenal. Uh, you know, Leicester have been going well in the Premier League, but, I, you know, in terms of the teams that are associated with that as well, in terms of the teams that are in the Europa League, I think that Milan certainly has to be considered one of the favorites uh, to win it. Uh, and, you know, we have to see who drops in from the Champions League groups, but, um, you know, to beat one of the favorites for this tournament uh, uh, comprehensively, 
away, uh, I think is a huge marker and, sh- and should underscore, given the depth that they'll have, if they don't lose, if they don't lose people in the January window, uh, that they should go for this tournament because, you know, they've shown that on their day they can play with anybody. Um, they have really the right balance throughout the team and, and Gaultier, you know, continues to overachieve as he has, as he did at Saint-Étienne and as he's, as he's doing here in Lille. So yeah, great result uh, to sort of blunt what had been a pretty poor week for Liga in Europe. Mm, absolutely. And at the halfway stage of the group stage, that leaves them top of their group uh, on seven points. You know, it has been a, a good going from Lille so far. And if they can keep that up in the second half of the group stage, they'll be aiming to, to get to the latter points of this competition, something which would be very encouraging for France and French clubs as a whole. Let's move into the second game that we're going to talk about tonight from the European competition. And this was Nice. They travelled away to play Slavia Praha. They lost 3-2. Jan Kucha and Abdallah Sima getting the goals for the home side with Amini Guiri and Dan Ndoy getting the consolations for Legime and Patrick Vieira's men. Eric, it's another defeat. There was a couple goals at least scored in this one, but a lot given away at the other side of the of the pitch. What was your opinion on their performance in this one? Uh, I think that Nice played okay. Uh, I think that, um, you know, there were some, there was a little bit of a lack of communication up front. It didn't seem to me, pardon me, that, that Loeb, Stolberg, and Guiri were all on the same page creatively. I think that that, those you know, those three are still sort of working at working out what their relationship is um, in attack, whether Lopes is a, a right winger, whether he's he's tucked in behind the two of them as a pairing, uh, whether Greery is a second striker, whether he's whether he's wide on the left. You know, I've seen this formation that uh, Patrick Vieira is playing variously labeled as a 3-4-1-2, uh, a 3-4-3. Um, you know, whatever it is tactically, they're, I think they're still working that out. Uh, that said, you know, uh, nice could have could have got a point from this had they had some better finishing. They they looked really bright, especially early on in the match, and I think perhaps their confidence dropped a little bit when they couldn't put those chances away, and and they suffered for it. But again, I think really what this boils down to, and what Nice's season is going to depend on, is uh, just how much that very young defense miss, misses Donch. Uh, you know, you've got Robson Bamboo, uh, Andy Palmar, Stanley and Soki. Um, those those younger players in there, you know are so used to him being this metronomic, reliable presence, uh, being a leader on the pitch, and to not have that, even if he is getting on, he just turned 37, uh, his his season-ending uh, knee injury is a huge, huge hammer blow for a knee side that did seem to be turning the corner a little bit, both in Europe and domestically, uh, having got themselves back into fifth place uh, after beating, I believe it was Brest last weekend. So, uh, you know, a, a pretty difficult result uh, for Nice, uh, you know, but I think what they should do is, uh, you know, they've got a pretty big squad. I think they should rotate away from Europe uh, at this point and and try and push to um, try and push to stay stay in touch with the top the top six in in Liga. Oh, pardon me. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think it was a, a you know really underscored um, the fact that Vera is making moves in the right direction, but that attack still has some kinks to work out and the Donch is going to be a huge miss going forward. 
Yeah, Eric mentioned it there with the the really bad injury, which is going to keep out Dante out for many months. You know, it could end up ending his, his season. We'll have to see how that one really develops. And as a result of that in this one, Thomas, it was a very young defence. And we'll have to see how it comes into the other games, how they really perform. But, you know, there are a lot of young guys playing in that back line. If we look at it tonight, Andy Pilmard's 20, Daniluk, who, who came in this summer's uh, 19, Robson Bamba's 22, Latomba uh, right wing back's 22, Hakasan Kamara's a little bit older at 26. And of course, they in this one, they had Schneiderlin and, and Lise Malou, who offer a bit more experience playing ahead of them in this one. But Thomas, if it is going to be that very young back line for the rest of the season, do you think the absence of having a calming presence, someone who's done it all like Dante uh, at the back. Do you think that's going to harm Nice this season? A, a team that, at least a couple of years ago, and, and generally does rely on having a bit of a solid defence uh, to build on? Yeah, I, I mean, that's such a, a big blow for them. Because even though it, it, it's clear that, you know, um, Dante has, has been... Um, regressing physically and he, he can be exposed at times they've Vieira has been able to protect him with with more mobile um, players around him but if you just watch him during a game you know how much of a leader is he is on that pitch for for those young defenders and, and players around him um, he's always just giving them little bits of advice and, and pointing them making sure they're in the right place and and even just motivating the the team um it is it's such a big a big hit I think to them and and with a lot of with the centre backs they have got not much experience really um, and it's it'll be interesting to see how they do if they do gel well um, but that's a that is a big hole to to fill for sure and I think it, I think I think he might be out until the end of the season to be honest what the reports think are. Keep... can I get a pronunciation check on on the guy who we're talking about right now, because you both are saying Dodge, and I'm saying Dante. <laughs> I don't know what the proper one is. Dodge. He's it's he's. I mean, he's Brazilian. Yeah. Is that how you pronounce it, Dodge? Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like Bruno Guimarães instead of Bruno Guimarães. Oh yeah, I guess so. All I'm saying is, it may you probably are right, but if I said Dodge in front of my brothers, I would not hear the end <laughs> of it. So I'm, I'll say Donch on here, but I'll tell you what, see when, see when we're off this and I'm watching matches beside my brothers or something, I'm saying Dante every day of the week, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm not confident enough to go with the proper uh, pronunciation. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a tough result that they took here. You know, it definitely doesn't help them uh, in the group stage for this one. They're sitting on three points. They sit third in Group C. And, and as Eric said, and we've said in the last few weeks, it may be getting to that point where Nice do just have to abandon this tournament and see how far they can get in Ligue 1 as opposed to trying to cling on to a Europa League campaign that could very quickly get away from them and, and some would say already has. Slavia Praha and Bayern Leverkusen, who came back to win tonight, both sitting on six points ahead of them. And you would imagine in the second half of the group stage, they're just going to start steamrolling away from the rest of the opposition. But we will we, we will have to see how Nice react to the other games and, and the games they could maybe get points from. Hapuel Bersheva, they could get more points from in that match. But we'll have to see uh, that when those games come around. Let's move on to a little bit of Champions League action. We'll start off with PSG and... 
I'm afraid to say it was another defeat for a French side. RB Leipzig with the two goals beating out PSG's one. Uh, Ex-Paris player in Kunku getting a goal as well as Emil Forsberg who eventually scored the winner despite Angel Di Maria early opening the score. So three games played, three points, sitting third in the table. We obviously have other French clubs to come on to in a minute, but as this was a, a fairly testing group, you would still imagine that PSG would have tipped themselves for the top of the group. So Eric, can they only look at this group stage so far as a bit of a disaster with the lack of points that they have picked up? Yeah, I mean, it's not, again, you know, their absences have played a role in the, the losses to Manchester United and, and to and to Red uh, Red Bull, sorry, Rassenball, Rassenball, <laughs> Leipzig. Uh, and I think that's what we have to deal with is that, you know, even a squad as, as deep and as, as well-financed as PSG's is still going to be susceptible if you're missing, you know, three of your first choice front four. Uh, in Mbappe, Neymar, and, and uh, Mauro Cardi, if they're playing that that four two four, yeah. So it's it's I think it's a problem. Or, and you're missing Juan Bernat. I, I think he's a player who you know gives a lot of balance to that that team on the left side. Um, and he's someone that's out for the season. So yeah, I, I tip this group as being very difficult. And I said you know even with the departure of Werner, we know what a good manager Julian Nagelsmann is, and uh, I, I think that. You know, Leipzig didn't even play particularly well. Uh, and Cuckoo's goal sort of came out of nowhere. Um, but what it came down to for for PSG is, uh, you know, I, I think that they're. For one thing, I think I think that Di Maria had a good start to the match, sort of faded, missing that penalty may have sapped some confidence from him. Um, but he's a very talented player, and I think that there were definitely some wavelength issues with he and he and Moise Kent. Um, I think that Kent's had a had a strong recent run of play doubles in each of his last two matches against Bazaxa here and at the weekend. Um, so he's starting to come into his own, but it didn't seem as if he and Di Maria were on the same wavelength. You had Sarabia playing on the left, which is really not his natural role. He's better wide on the right, but again, uh, you're not going to take Angel Di Maria out of that, out of that role. You're going to want to switch Sarabia, given he is, he is a more versatile player. Uh, so I think that there were definitely some issues in terms of that front three being on the same wavelength. Uh, particularly when we look at how many times Cam was flagged off. Uh, and, and there were some finishing issues as well for Cam. So, you know, again, a lot of mitigating circumstances, a lot of, a lot of frustrating uh, situations that, uh, you know, PSG couldn't avoid. Uh, and so, you know, when you're playing on the road against, you know, one of the top managers, one of the most highly touted young managers in Europe, you know, a result like this is entirely possible, especially if you uh, lose the chance to go tune nil up in the first 15 minutes. So take it from that perspective. It's yeah, it's not a disaster. I mean, there's every chance that PSG can, you know, get players back after the, after the international break. Uh, Neymar is expected to be back and is expected to be back, uh, you know, run on the table, finish with 12 points. And, you know, it's easy enough to have the tiebreaker uh, against both Leipzig and Manchester United. So if they if they were to run the table and better the results that they had against those two sides, there you go. And to be fair, too, Manchester United's having lost to Bissaka here at the weekend, uh, you know, does make them just as vulnerable uh, as PSG. So, 
yeah, a lot of football they play, but no, certainly a, a poor result. And, and certainly just to, just a reminder that we are going to be faced with a lot of these quote unquote unpredictable results as the season wears on, just as teams try and, and struggle with, you know, what I think is going to continue to be a, a lot of muscular injuries given the workload of, especially of players who are internationals, uh, you know, like we have with uh, Mbappe and, and Neymar for PSG in particular. But Thomas, do you think the PSG hierarchy will see the reason that Eric is uh, trying to put out uh, if Tuchel doesn't keep on picking up performances, picking up results? You know, if, if they do continue to be a bit lacklustre on the table in the Champions League, do you think that they'll be as forgiving? Um, I'm honestly not. I, I won't be surprised. Um, but I'm honestly not sure. Um, what well, I, I, I don't know if somebody can explain to me, but it was in my mind uh, that when Thiago Silva left, Marquinhos would be his replacement. And even though he's very good in the field, why is he not playing alongside Kimpembe? Eric, you wanna you wanna uh, go on that one? Because you know Danilo Pereira's been sitting in at centre back, even though as far as I know he was more generally a, a midfielder. And then Marquinhos, who many people see better at centre half, is seeming to play mid, midfield. It seems a bit of a weird one at the moment, Eric. Yeah, I think this is Tuchel trying to prove a point that he doesn't mm. feel that uh, that uh, Silva was properly replaced. Uh, you know, there was the youngster Quasi. Uh, uh, Kwasi, yeah, who who departed for Bayern Munich, who was expected to be given more playing time this season in the de- with the departure of Silva. But, uh, you know, you've got Abdou Diallo. Uh, Theo Carrer can play as a right-sided centre-back, even though he's really better as a right-back. Um, so I think that it's Tuchel trying to prove a point in terms of um, how he felt uh, Leonardo has, quote-unquote, botched the transfer window. Uh, you know, there's been more than... Uh, more than a little enmity between those two in the season's early going, uh, speaking to the press and and badmouthing each other. And it's a, you know, I think Tuchel has a point. I think given what he got out of that team uh, in that in that stretch run, um, uh, the commitment and, and fight that they showed, I think that that uh, what he he should have got what he wanted. He should have gotten another year of Thiago Silva, and he should have. And he should have got the other players that have been brought in as well. To be fair, I mean, I, I think that there have been some quietly canny acquisitions in that regard for um, for PSG. I think Florenzi's looked decent. You know, he certainly isn't uh, the uh, you know power and pace element that uh, you would have had with Thomas Munier, for example. Uh, but he's turned up with a couple of handy goals. He looks decent enough. Rafinha has looked good as well uh, as being you know sort of a creative hub. Um, but yeah, I, I think that. By and large, you know, PSG, you know, I, I think beyond what Silva brings on the pitch, I mean, let's face it, he is not getting any younger, um, mm. uh, you know, having turned 36 recently. I think that he, uh, I think that his leadership is, was also something to be considered. Of. You know, I, obviously he's such a big personality on the pitch, you know, sometimes to the team's detriment, but generally to their benefit, given his his experience both with Brazil and, and playing playing in the Champions League before before having come over to PSG with, with Milan. Um, yeah, I think the Tuchel's just trying to make a point. And, uh, and while I understand that he may be frustrated with Leonardo, he shouldn't, you know, again, as you rightly say, Thomas, 
he shouldn't be doing it at the expense yeah. of results on the pitch. Yeah, and exactly. Marquinhos has worked as a central midfielder when you had Kimpembe and Silva. But if you're mm-hmm. trying to play two players, that is Pereira and Marquinhos, in the each other's best position, I'm just a little baffled as to what what makes sense there. And maybe you want to have Paredes there. Per, per, Paredes there, um, you know, were he fit? Um, maybe you, yeah, I just, I, I think Tuchel is trying to hammer that point home too hard and it yeah. may end up costing him his job even. Mm-hmm. I think it's that kind of internal politics that we've seen at PSG for um, for many years. And it showed when, you know, when Kunku scored it at another time again when PSG's, um, stubbornness with our academy players comes back to to bite them um it just keeps keeps sort of happening i mean it comes and especially like you said i don't think leonardo's been very good in the in in his transfer activity and it it just shows when (laughs) you have to sign alexander atelier as a a third choice keeper well right just kind of sums it up at the moment, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> I'm sitting on the bench. It really does. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Like, I, I can understand the the stress that might be going on, because Tuchel, you'd be thinking, oh, I'm going to come back to, even though didn't necessarily win the, the final, I'm going to come back to Paris as a as a champion. You know, I'm going to get all this financial backing because I've showed the potential that I've got with the squad and all that. And then you just don't really get hand in much. I mean, I know, obviously, they're top of the unit at the moment, but... You can't say they're they're playing their absolute glitzy, glamoury best, you know, and and he feels maybe that he could be doing a lot better if he was given the the correct finance in a couple of positions. Centre half's one. I've been saying for a while, centre mid's another, but you know, all that money just goes into the strikers. <laughs> got got to keep the goals coming, keep the keep the sexy players up front. You know, who cares about centre half and centre mid? Um, yeah, so at, at this stage, at the moment, they currently sit third in Group H of the Champions League. Three points behind Leipzig and Manchester United, who sit drawn at the top of the table. Obviously, they do have the, the potential to still qualify from this group, but it is going to require them to get results to, to you know go to Manchester United, get, welcome Leipzig and, and get results. Um, and we just have to see how that's going to happen in the second half of this group stage. Let's move on to another French side. And guess what? It's another defeat. FC Marseille, they, they travelled away to Portugal, you know, to the, the sunny coast to, to play Porto. And they lost 3-0. Lovely. Marega, Oliveira and Diaz with the goals. And Andre Villas-Boas, after this match, said that, you know, going into the second half of this group stage, they're going to be looking to just save face now rather than qualify. But Thomas, how much face do they still have left to save? I mean, <laughs> not not much, really. Have they broken a record yet of consecutive losses in the Champions League? I think they're close to, aren't they? Tied, I believe tied, they're on I course. Way or not. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been fairly dismal performances for for Marseille so so far. And, and it's... It's not nice to say, but I, I didn't really expect. I, I'm not sure I expected this catastrophic, but um, I didn't really expect them to to really perform very well in the in the group. And it, I mean, it is it is really disappointing um, to see them the play play this badly. And even with you know a, a good squad out there, really, 
Um, but I think they've been hitting in maybe other areas that, you know, and with that, with with a, a, a good start in eleven, but a squad that have been were definitely drained last season um, and probably haven't, doesn't look like they've recovered. Mm. Eric, what have you made of, of Villas-Boas' comments after the match? And, and after a lot of the matches, it seems like he's always had a lot to say. You know, when it, when, it, when it was the Man City game, he was saying, no, it's a game of finance. You know, it's not, it's not, I've not lost this match because of tactical decisions. I've lost it because of the fantastic players that the other side had at their disposal. And now he's saying, going into the second half of the, of the, tournament of the group stage they're more just looking to save face than anything else what do you make of these comments that have come out of Marseille well yeah I mean we have to remember that there was some question as to whether he would even stay uh this summer and there was there was certainly a lot of rumors that he was going to be off to pastures greener uh, given how to what level he frankly overachieved last season with Marseille so to have him stay and have the club make you know, a minimal investment. I mean, Yuto Nagatomo on a free, uh, Leo Bellardi on loan, Luis Enrique, this young Brazilian winger, um, you know, an underwhelming transfer window, uh, coupled with, uh, you know, your front three of Benedetto, Tovan, and, and Paye, you know, disappearing. Um, they've All three of them have been really, uh, Tovan's been okay in the league. But in the last month or so, I think even his form has fallen off a cliff. And Pae and Benedetto haven't been at it at all this season. Um, so, you know, part of it is the club's making. Part of it is, uh, you know, the fact that you've got a, an aging and um, perhaps overworked, as, as you said, attack. And that nexus of um, that nexus of circumstances has really made, made things very difficult for Marseille. Now they may, you know, I think certainly, certainly think they have a talent if they get if they do finish fourth in this group, which is looking likely, uh, barring a, a surprise set of results. And they'll have the ability to double down in the league and and get back to where they want to be there, and you know, hopefully finish uh, um, within or sorry, finish on um, finish on a good note uh, by getting a result or two there, maybe. You know, maybe a draw against Porto at home, maybe you know, getting a good result against Olympiacos. But I think, by and large, uh, Marseille, the club's hierarchy, need to look at themselves and say, pardon me, we've taken this team as far as we can go, um, and what's going to be the upshot of how well they play? And then the answer is, it, it doesn't, I don't know that I can, I can see this team, you know, progressing. I, th- I think that the, the, cl- the club needs to take a really hard look at, um, has this model, this champions project, you know, really surprise and really run its course in a definitive way because they got into the Champions League. That's what they wanted. Um, you know, seven years, eight years later, whatever it's been, you know, and they've had that run to the Europa League final. I mean, it's not like they've been poor throughout. Um, but, you know, we have to just keep bringing this back to uh, this club's history, this club's ambitions. And to be this poor, uh, especially against the Porto, who are not the Porto of old, and an Olympiacos who are, you know, as we mentioned the other week, creaking and uh, creaking about the pitch, uh, given the age of some of their players. Um, yeah, this isn't. I mean, City obviously, you know, we're not. That's neither here nor there. But uh, you would have expected it through these first three matches for Marseille to have made a better fist of things than they have to this point. Mm. Eric, what's happened to the Dimitri Payet that we 
all knew and love last season. You know, in this match, 13 accurate passes, that was all. Zero shots on target, one penalty, one penalty missed. Uh, is his lack of performance now exposing the team that at many times last season was dragged forward, kicking and screaming by Mr. Dimitri? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously last year he um, was shouldering a greater attacking load because of the absence of Tovin. Um, but I think this season, you know, we're seeing a player who's about to be 34 years old. Um, and I think that's really what it boils down to. Uh, you know, typically we don't see sustained, from, sustained, sustained success from players in those forward areas, especially players who have the style of play that Paillet does. And I think that that's just those chickens coming home to roost, that he's he's been a decent player uh, throughout his career. But I think that, uh, you know, I think that for someone who's, you know, in his, I think, probably 15th season of professional football, uh, you know, is is showing his age. And that's that's really what this boils down to. Um, so, yeah. Mm. It's a difficult one. And at this halfway stage of the group stage, Marseille currently sit bottom of Group C with zero points, zero goals scored, seven going the other way. It's all not looking great for Les Olympiens. We'll have to see if they can pick it up in the second half of the competition or if they just say sayonara and, I don't know, forfeit the other three matches, give the other teams three points each, three goals each. You know, as uh, We'll have to see how all turned around um okay let's go into our final european match of the episode this was ren they traveled away to chelsea playing at stamford bridge and they lost 3-0 uh, timo werner getting a double as well as tammy abraham finishing off the match they did have to play 50 minutes with 10 men due to dalbert getting uh, two yellow cards for the two penalties actually eventually getting sent off um Eric, 50 minutes with 10 men, you know, two penalties conceded. Did Wren really deserve this scoreline? Um, well, I mean, 50 minutes with 10 men against Chelsea, who has spent very heavily on attacking players in the offseason. Uh, you know, I, I think that, that that really tells you all you need to know. Um, I, I think that they, they showed some bright moments. They looked they looked decent. Um and I think Boho in particular had a surprisingly strong match. But you have to remember also that they're missing um, their first choice left back in Faitu Muasa, who, you know, is fast and can stretch play against that against that Chelsea defense. Uh, they're missing Eduardo Camavinga, a player who we all know in his ability. Um, and they're still trying to figure out what the best option is at right at that in, on the right side of attack. I think the Terrier looks to have sort of nailed down his place on the left. But on the right, you know, you've got Hamari Traore to stretch play from fullback, but is that going to be Romain de Castillo's place to, place to lose? Uh, is Borjo going to be pushed into a further role? Is it going to be Boho? Um, is it going to be Romain de Castillo? Um, I think that, uh, you know, they're still, that team's a little bit in flux and the absences that, they, that they've had uh, in their fixture congestion as well. I think you know probably just caught up to them. So there was they were certainly they certainly delivered a battling performance. They tried hard. They worked hard. Um, but I just think that uh, you know between the decisions that had gone against them, not incorrectly, uh, and the 
and the the facts of you know the facts of facts being what they are uh yeah this this is not an unsurprising result um but I, I do think that the team the team worked hard and tried hard throughout but um yeah it's it's disappointing to lose by such a margin but uh i do think this run side can can turn things around um you know if they can they get six points out of Krasnodar and Sevilla at home, maybe even pinch a draw against Chelsea in the reverse fixture. Um, they still have a decent chance of qualifying um, for the next stage, but uh, it's it's going to be this this result in particular was was tough on the team um, given the given that they did seem to be playing quote unquote the right way. <clears throat> You know, the thing is, you could look at this match in a couple of ways, because if you look at it statistically, you can see that it wasn't an absolute whitewash in terms of who was actually getting shots off. Rain had seven, Chelsea had eight. And then if you look at some of the chances that Rain did make, I, I know Chelsea did have the lion's share of a lot of the, the real chances that were made in the game. But, you know, discount the two penalties, let's say, you know, they're kind of things that you can't really legislate for and then Martin Terrier scores that cut back Damien De Silva gets the header at the back post when it's still 1-0 you know that can change the game I feel like we are seeing some positives from this Ren side the positives that we talked about last week you know we said that Ren are a side that even though they may not be getting results on, on the biggest stage it's their first time at the competition they've got especially in this match they had a squad that was quite heavily weakened you know James Leslie, Jan Boho, Dalbert they're not players that start every week for for Ren you know it was a tough one so are we seeing these these positives in action now you know a Ren side that if they were at their full capabilities with Kamavinga in that side at Al going away to Chelsea they're turning into a team that could nick a result. You know, are we seeing those positives now actually playing out on the field, Eric? I think so. Yeah. I, you know, I wrote for the guardian last week that, um, that that's exactly what my opinion of things seems to be at this point in time. I think that they, they have looked a much sharper and organized side. Again, you know, this is a young team. This is a team that, uh, had a fair amount of roster overhaul in the summer. And we look at, uh, the players they brought in, you know, that's, you know, Rugani, Dalbert, Terrier, uh, uh, Doku, uh, uh, the striker, uh, Girasi, um, you know, they, they've had a pretty major shift in terms of their, uh, their, in terms of their, their player personnel, especially in attack. I mean, Mbain Yang, their leading scorer last season, hasn't played yet, I don't think, uh, due to injury. Uh, so there's, there's definitely a shift that's happening, uh, with Ren, uh, and, you know, this honestly makes us all makes it the fact that they are keeping their heads above water, uh, at least in terms of their effort in Europe, and, and they are doing so well in the league, really that much more impressive when you when you think about the issues that they've which, with with which they've had to deal. Um, goalkeeper, you know, uh, we've seen how excellent Edouard Mendy's been. I think he's conceded one goal in seven matches for Chelsea, if that sounds right, maybe six matches. Really, a brilliant start to life there. Um, and, you know, losing a player of that caliber to, you know, for, again, Gomez is a solid keeper, you know, got a hand to the first penalty and maybe would have regretted not actually stopping it. Uh, but, yeah, I think that, if we think about that, um, the, the fact that Stefan is doing this virtually on the fly is really, really impressive. Yeah, we'll have to see how they 
who they come into the second half of the competition. They currently sit on one point uh, at the bottom of Group E, this, this Champions League group. Krasnodar are above them, just on goal difference, also sitting on one point. And, you know, if they can go there and and, and get a result against them and maybe nick something off of Sevilla and Chelsea, next thing you know, you're in the knockout stages of Europa League and you never know what can happen from there in that kind of cup format. Something could come out of this right side. I think they do have potential to show. It's just unfortunate that the Krasnodar game went the way it did and they've had tough matches against Chelsea and Sevilla. But we do have a lot to see from this exciting Rennes side with a very exciting young manager. And this weekend, they'll be coming up against PSG. They'll be travelling away to the capital to play Paris. And Thomas, if a team is going to challenge Paris for the title this year, give me the case for it being Rennes. Could could it be them if anyone is going to take the title off of them? I don't think anybody will. Um, But if you look at all the, the clubs that you would sort of have in that in that bracket, um, Ren would definitely be at the top. I'd probably say next to Lille, probably. Um, I guess it depends on how, how well they go into the Europa League, but um, they look like they're the most in sync of all of them of all them clubs, which for for quite a lot of um, French French clubs, especially in the in the top half. Um, can be a rarity on occasions, um, but they've got obviously they've got a, a really great, um, promising you know the the best young manager in France at the moment in, in Julien Stéphane, and they've got some really really great talent, um, and it, I think just with that, the you got to remember that most of this team is a Poyoni and, and Zonzi that has experience in the Champions League. Um, and it's still a very young team, a very uh, exciting and but developing side. So I'd, I don't expect them to actually heavily challenge PSG, but if they do keep that main core of players, um, what's to say they can't consistently be be up there in the, in the the top four of the of the table. And Eric, coming into this game, you know. Ren may not have the ability at the moment to consistently go over 38 games and stay first or stay second in that in uh, and around the kind of title conversation. But with Mbappe and Neymar presumed to be out for this weekend and the frailties that PSG just showed in the Champions League, admittedly against a quality side in Leipzig, do Ren is is the story setting up for Ren to go to PSG and and nick a one nil win, a two one win, something something scrappy like that. You mean something like Lance and Marseille have done this season? And that no Lance both won't fit that at home. Yeah, I mean, PSG are, are given the way that the world is right now, uh, you know, much much more fallible, if you will, uh, than they have been in recent seasons. They're not this juggernaut, uh, given how fa- how thick and fast the matches are coming. And, you know, given exactly, wh- exactly to how high a level... Uh, the demands of international football are given how compressed that schedule is. A lot of these teams are playing three matches. We, we talk about, you know, Kylian Mbappe uh, playing that match a couple weeks ago, 48 hours after having played in Zagreb. Uh, you know, we would not be seeing that in a normal season. Um, but, but, you know, needs must with the compressed group stage of the Champions League and the compressed international windows. And, uh, yeah, again, this being sandwiched between an international window and the Champions League, I think that I think that it's absolutely 
a match in which PSG may um, may struggle to get a result, or, or or if not struggle to get a result, to win as comfortably as they might have done uh, playing this match in a in a season that that were a little bit more uh, like the norm. And Stefan has a better record than most actually against PSG. I was looking into this since he became Ren manager. He's had four games against PSG, two in the league, I believe, and one in the Trophy de Champion and one in the Coupe de France. And he's actually won two of the four games, which you know is better than most of the managers currently uh, managing in league and you know obviously one of those was on penalties in the coupe de france but a win's a win so thomas with that information i'm going to push you for a score prediction how do you think this one could actually go you know psg entering it with maybe their heads a little bit down because of the result in midweek you know thomas tuchel's going to be a little bit nervous because of guys looking over his shoulder and judging his performances his job could potentially be on the line if it doesn't keep improving thomas what do you think this game is going to finish yeah i think it's interesting including all the the stuff that's happening off the pitch of psg because i did have them down to to win this maybe two or three Three-one, but I'm going to be optimistic and say uh, one all. Go on, give Ren a point. I love it, uh, Eric. What are you? What are you going for? Uh, I'll say a two-one win for PSG. Uh, we've got yes. Di-, Di Maria is back from suspension, uh, which I don't think we should should undersell. Um, you know, I think that we saw. Uh, Especially in the earlier stages of the match yesterday, or sorry, Tuesday, just how um, just how much of an influence he can have uh, on a match when he's uh, fit and firing. And he's he's been a big absence throughout this. Uh, I think it was the six match ban uh, that he received for the uh, incidents in the Classique. Mm. Nah, I'm gonna go. I'll go one-one draw. Big James Leslie, ninetieth minute equaliser, back post. Jan Boho sent in the corner and I'm going to go something absolutely scrappy like that. I'll go 1-1. I'll, I'll join you, Thomas, on that. I think Rain could get something out of this game. It just seems like it's the type of match that it's kind of getting set up for something something crazy like that. Uh, the last match we're going to talk about today is we're going to try and get a bit of preview action in because except for the PSG Ren match we just talked about there, there hasn't been a lot of matches to preview recently because we've just had so much European action to go over. But two teams that haven't had a lot of love from us so far this campaign are FC Lorient and FC Nantes. They'll be playing this weekend. Lorient currently sit at 16th in Ligue 1 with Nantes just below them in 17th. And Thomas, what has been your opinion of Lorient this season since their promotion into the division? Um, I've been impressed by them, really. I think the where they sit in the table currently is probably not um, not as reflective as, as some of their performances um, has been. I mean, I mean, last, um, last week against Dijon, they should have probably put that away against obviously a, a, a pretty poor team. Um, but I think the the actual we we know what. Um, Christophe Pelissier has it's been about you know he's he's he was with Amiens for a few seasons in Ligue 1 and, and his style of play is is was never that negative at Amiens but it wasn't particularly special um but with Lorient with I think some of these young um talented uh, attackers especially I'm thinking of you know Jan Visser and and 
um, Adrian Gerbic, he's got more of a a group of a group of um, players there that that on on occasions can really break um, really break hard and, and do a lot of danger to 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 teams. And it was just a shame that um, Stefan Diara got uh, picked up an injury in his first might be his first game actually. Um, I think it was against Strasbourg. But um, they've been they've they've impressed me. They've been quietly impressive, but obviously they're, they're just unable to get the the results at the moment, um, which will be obviously a concern for them. Mm, yeah, that that is the unfortunate thing for for Lorient because they have had a lot of very close games this season. They had a three two defeat uh, defeat against Lens. They had a three two defeat against Brest. They had a one one draw uh, with Lyon, which kind of showed a bit of their quality. A tight one nil loss against Marseille. You know, Eric, they do have the ability to match some very established teams in this division. So does that show their kind of league and quality? And do you think even though they sit 16th at the moment, it's only a matter of time before they kick on a little bit of form and hammer up a little bit further up the table, Eric? Um, I don't know about climbing the table. I think it really depends. There's really a lot of teams in that mid table that are really flawed, but I think probably won't go down. You look at Bordeaux, you look at Nantes, uh, you know, it's, you look at Neem, you look at Brest. I, I, you know, I, I personally, I think the two teams that are that are going to get relegated are going to be Dijon and Strasbourg. Um, but I think that there's just a lot of a lot of very flawed teams, and and that's you know from from that that range, say you know 12th to 17th. And I think that Lorient, uh, you know, want to play positive football, want to play well organized football. Um, I think that the talent, honestly, that uh, Pelletier has at his disposal here with Le Merlou uh, is much higher than it was at Amiens. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that survival should be at a minimum. I think, you know, and Wissa in particular has been, you know, probably probably the breakout player of the season. I think, you know, Jonathan Bombas had a good start to the season as well, but we kind of know who, who he is. Uh, you know, Boulard Diaz had a good start as well, but I think that, uh, you know, Wissa is a player who had been strong in League 2 last year, but we've seen a lot of players try and make that transition from Ligue 2 to Ligue 1 and really struggle. But I think that Wissa has pace. He has inventiveness. You know, he's a he's a tad reckless, perhaps. But I, I think that, by and large, he's been an incredible addition to the league. And I, I would not be surprised to see him moving on uh, sooner rather than later, be it to a bigger club in Ligue 1 or abroad. Um, so, really, you know, you've got a, this, these fantastic attackers and you've got um, you've got the organizational now of... Um, of Pelissier there, and it's a, it's a good combination. Yeah, I think Gloria and Lens too. You know, uh, they look strong as well. Um, you know, they're difficult, difficult with injury to to um, gonna go, but yeah, both promoted sides have really impressed this season. And for this match, they'll be coming up against a team that's you know been rather settled in Ligue 1 for many years now, and and FC Nantes. They've got an older manager, a guy who's kind of been about the place, knows knows the division, knows how to kind of operate it. Even though sometimes his football might not be for everyone, um, but as a very young squad as well, you know a lot of the players that Nantes do operate with are on the younger side, with Randall Colo, Ludovic Pla, Marcus Coco, Imran Luza as well, who's rather young, only twenty. 21 and have the, has the captaincy at the club. 
they sit they or they sat 13th last season with a fairly similar squad but Thomas now they sit 17th it's not been the best start there's got to be a little bit of disappointment going through Nantes at the moment yeah I, I mean I think so but looking at how they played I mean I'm, every time I think of Nantes now I just think of that miss from Moses Simon against against PSG last last weekend <laughs> which was crazy from what a yard um, out yeah yeah um and they haven't again i think it's just like eric said you know they'll be one of them teams that that will just be they'll probably survive but they won't particularly be um i don't know they won't but they won't particularly have have earned it themselves <laughs> it's more dependent on the the teams that have performed worse than them on occasions because they've they've just not been very ruthless when they've when they do play and even though they do have you know talented players like loser and, and, and blad but they just haven't got really um good attackers at, at the moment so yeah i mean talking about Nantes is sort of in the same kind of thing for a few years now um with with Gokuf. Mm. Is, is Gurkhoff the man to really take this team forward though? Because it is a young squad, you know, they've got some players that, that do do have a bit of potential, you know, they've got the, the gang on attack of a couple of years ago and Ludovic Blad and Marcus Coco playing, Imran Lewis has showed a lot of quality since he's kind of been brought into the team, I, I believe he's been at the at the club, correct me if I'm wrong, since he was like very, very young, like nine or something like that. I remember reading an article about him. Uh, they've got an interesting player, Moses Simon, Randall Colo as well. Um, but, but is Gurkhoff really the man to kind of exploit the, the, the talent that he has at his disposal, that young squad, the, the talented attackers that he has? I'm not sure. I don't think Gurkhoff's the person to do it, to be honest. Um, he's just a I don't want anybody to be too offensive, but uh, they do have, they do have, like you said, they do have quite uh, one or two, you know, um, bright individuals. And I actually think, even though we've been criticising the attack, I actually think um, the young attacker they've got, I can't remember his name now, is that Moani? Colin Moani. Colin Moani, yeah. yeah. I think he's actually been, he, he's played all right. Um, yeah, he got a first under 21 call up. He's, yeah. he has been a, a, pres- a pleasant surprise, but, uh, what I want to say is I think that uh, not by and large, I think that this team just, uh, as long as Keita doesn't want to spend, this yeah. team is not going to go anywhere. I mean, you know, I just the, the the signings they made this summer, you know, looking at Castelletto, Chiravello, um, Sebastian Corsia on a free, I, you know, I think by and large, they made Moses Simon's signing permit, but now, you know, he had a decent season last year. Um John Kevin Augustine, I mean, none of that, to me, speaks to ambition. And I think that the teams around them, by and large, are operating within a sphere of ambition. You look at Strasbourg signing Habib Diallo. You look at Lorient breaking their club record to bring in Gerbich. You look at Lons breaking their club record twice to bring in Satoka, uh, to bring in Ganago and Seiko Fofana. Um, there's been more ambition being displayed by and large in the bottom half of Liga in terms of transfer policies, and we're not seeing that at not, and they could end up paying the price as a result of that. Yeah, I think you've yes. I think you've you've summed it up perfectly just saying about 
ambition because if you look at all them other clubs they've they're making moves to to better themselves and, and not just stick in there and and maybe it comes back and that Keita's um management that situation does put them in, in real danger this season uh, okay Thomas, Eric, Thomas, I'm going to start with you. I want your score prediction for this one. FC Lorient hosting FC Nantes. How do you how do you see this one going? I'm going to go with a a one-all draw. A one-all draw. So exciting. Uh, Eric, how about you? I'll do a two-one home win for Lorient. For Lorient, yeah, I think Lorient will get this one as well. I'm going to say one-nil. I don't know how much Nantes will really will really threaten Lorient at the moment, especially with their kind of heads down following that PSG defeat last week. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go a one nil win for Lorient. Uh, and just quickly before we finish, the French national squad just got announced today, I believe, actually for their next round of games. You know, the, the key or the notable addition for this one is Marcus Turam getting in the squad for the first time. What a story for him you know following in the steps of his father Lillian um, Husim Awar and Dio Pumacano also being dropped from the squad probably the most interesting headlines from this one Eric firstly Marcus Turam is, is great has he kind of been deserving this call up for a while now given his form in Germany yeah I mean Gladbach you know with their French attacking line Alassane play as well have been Really impressive. Uh, I think where they sit in the Champions League is is proof of that as well. Um, yeah, I think Thuram was a player who, you know, when he came through at, at Gangump, we didn't really see the best of him. They weren't a very attack-minded team. Um, there wasn't there wasn't really a great deal of tactical continuity there. And I think that we are now seeing his talent in Leafs, and it's really impressive. Um, I am surprised, though, uh, at uh, at the at the, I'm not surprised at the dropping of Pumacano. He's he was poor in in those last sets of, of matches. Uh, he was he was poor against uh, PSG. Um, but uh, but the dropping of Alwar is a really interesting one. Um, you know I I know he he says he's not affected. Pardon me by the speculation around his move. He's not been in his best for Leon, but I'm surprised that he would dropped so far out of the reckoning uh, as to not be included in the in the squad at all. I do wonder if there is some some thought as to the fact that the under-21s face uh, in a match against Switzerland, a match they have to win to qualify. And I do wonder if, in a conversation between Deschamps and Sylvain Ripple, the under-21s boss, that this was mooted, that Deschamps, you know, we've been talking about these three sets of matches, September, October, November friendlies, and Nations League matches that, Deschamps is using this as a bit of a sandbox. He's being a bit experimental. And maybe he already sees Awar as having sewn up his place for next summer. And he says, well, it's important for the development of the under-21s to get into this tournament, to have these players experience that. You know, let's allow Awar to help them seal qualification. And then he can be reintegrated with the team uh, in the next set of friendlies, which I believe is in late March. Mm. That's an interesting angle, actually. I never thought about that, you know, him maybe dropping down and, and helping the youth squad qualify there. Well, it is an interesting Kane, angle. Harry Kane in, was that 2015, played the under-21s? Yeah, I was just about to say that. That was, to the words out of my mouth, I was going to go straight for Harry Kane in 2015. <laughs> no, but it's interesting, you know, if he, if he does drop down and kind of operate there, we'll, we'll have to see how 
if the call-up does happen for the under-21 squad. But it's, just, it's an interesting angle, you know, not something you see all all the time. That kind of, But it does show the synergy, maybe, between the French national squad and the under-21s. Well, um, this... Sorry, just to just to finish. I mean, this is a tournament that they've had a lot of difficulties with. We keep talking about France as being this conveyor belt of young talent, uh, but this is a tournament that they've struggled to qualify over the last two decades, uh, and and has struggled to do well in as well. I mean, they've they've had some great success in the under 19s. If we think about that 2016 team with with Mbappe, that was kind of where he first, uh, you know, made his name in a, in a national stage, but. But yeah, the under-21s, I think that given how, how we just go on and on about all this young French talent, you know, this, this, this stage where they should be evincing themselves at, at their best, being given their, you know, a lot of this team, I think there's 14 of the, the players selected are, are on league on rosters. Um, you know, I, I think that there should be more expected from this team and more expected from them. I, I, you know, the I wrote a piece for GFFN for the September friendlies and yeah they were they were not great in those in those matches against mediocre opposition and I I kind of wonder um, you know repulse tactics you know give me some questions and it wasn't a great um, it wasn't a great set of matches um, and they you know they did the job in the, their last set of matches but again I think that perhaps instilling some confidence in terms of getting results and and topping what's not a difficult group. Uh, should be the focus for these young players again to give them that that feel, not only of topping a group and of doing well, but of going to a major tournament and having that success in your back pocket. Because again, you know, it's not as if France haven't had players who are late bloomers be important to the squad. I know we we talk about the fast progression of a player, you know, like a like like a Benjamin Pavard, like a. Um, you know, like a Lucas Hernandez, given that they had come from having very few caps and been integral to France winning the World Cup, Kylian Mbappe, the same thing. But then you also look at players like Olivier Giroud. I think he got his first cap at 25 or 26. Um, Laurent Koscielny, you know, what has was an important player for France. He was also somewhat of a late bloomer. So I think that Deschamps, you know, having been manager of France for so long, is taking a holistic look at this and saying, you know, who are the players on this team that could become important in two, three, four, five, six years, even if they haven't been capped by the senior team to this point in time, the fact that the fact to be able to give them the experience of going to of going of playing a pressure match, winning it, going to a major tournament, and having that that success, that's 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 going to make that is what's going to make a difference for them for the de- development of those players, both both mentally and and in terms of their strength to be able to play in a tournament. And I don't think that that's something can be that can be undersold. So I think that there is probably, uh, you know, a, a, some level of thinking, uh, you know, between between Deschamps uh, acting as a as not only a manager of the senior team but as sort of you know being the steward of this team going forward. How is he going to get the best out of you know the generations to come? I mean, you know, Musa Sissoko is not going to be around forever, right? And there's there's questions to other positions. I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about left back. Uh, the the two Mendes and Luca Dean, I think, all are, you know, flawed in one way or another. That the solution there has got to come from somewhere. Leo Dubois has been out of form, but he's been called up again. Um, obviously, you know, we know Pavard and Hernandez are, are solutions at fullback, but you know, e- even they are a little limited in some respects. Um, so I think that there's a lot to sort of be sorted out with this team going forward. And you know, the bigger the picture Deschamps can have, 
the better France's chances are going to be for success uh, both next summer and at the World Cup in 2022. 100%. 100%. Fantastic. <laughs> you were just dropping bars there, dropping numbers there. Sometimes you do have to think about the long-term game, I guess, and this is just the the the, the tactic that France are taking with this one, maybe dropping a couple of players down to the under-21s to get the betterment for the entire squad because there is a lot of talent coming through, but you have to get them the experience at a youth level for them to really come up clutch when they do come into the senior side. I'm afraid I'm going to have to wrap us up there, but I've really enjoyed this one. If you're looking for more information on all things French football in English, you can get us on the website at getfootballnewsfrance.com. You can also catch us on Twitter at GFFN. I've been Lois McParlin. I've been joined tonight by Thomas Wiseman and Eric Devin. Thank you very much for listening. I believe we have an international break coming up, so you'll have a little bit of a reprieve from our voices for a week, but we'll We'll see you in two weeks' time for the next episode of The Preview Show. Thanks for listening. See you later.